Welcome to another episode of the Dirty Giants podcast. This week we got Trevor from uh, Bull Ridge Guide Service. He tells some stories of just some giant bucks, some true dirty giants. And I thought it was an awesome episode just to be able to learn from Trevor. And he's been at it for a while. He's he's a younger guy, but he uh, has been guiding for a lot of years now. And he has killed some giant bucks and some bulls. He's helped on multiple 400 plus inch bulls and multiple, multiple 200 inch deer. He's even killed uh, four or five uh, 200 plus inch deer himself. And he's going to tell some of those stories as well as kind of share some tips and tactics. So if you love mule deer, you're not going to want to miss this episode. Just real quick before we start, I want to thank a couple of our sponsors. Um, first, we have Ancient Boots, A-N-X-Y-N-T. They have a, a sneaky uh, moccasin-type boot. They're really awesome, so you guys need to check them out. And we also have Scree Gear. Um, they have camouflage and other things. They've came out with some new patterns that are really cool. And last but not least, we have Scout to Hunt. Um, they're always making updates and improving their app. Um, it's a free hunting GPS um, map being app. So go ahead and check those out. Anyways, let's go ahead and get started. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Dirty Giants podcast. We got an awesome guest on this week. We got Trevor Marks of Bull Ridge um, Guiding Service. Um, they guide in Nevada and they have killed some of the biggest bulls to ever live in Nevada and also some of the biggest bucks. But not only that, Trevor has also killed some really big animals himself. So I'm I'm really excited to talk to him. I'm glad we got him on and I think we can learn a lot from him. So thanks for getting on, Trevor. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the opportunity. Sweet. Well, let's just get into it. Um, so I just kind of wanted to talk about maybe how you got into guiding and when you kind of got into guiding and go from there. All right. Yeah, you know, I basically grew up in a outdoor family. Uh, my dad and his brothers, my uncles, really started trapping back in the 80s. Bobcats pretty hard. Then just being out you know, all the time in the mountains starting to, you know, see more deer and elk. They've always hunted, but just kind of kept more tabs on them later on in the year. And then they started picking up sheds. Okay. Picking up sheds. When, you know, people would draw a tag and say, hey, call the Marx Brothers. You know, they watch these bulls year round and follow them. And this was in Nevada, right? Are your family's all from Nevada? Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So they, they kind of started trapping. They've been out there and they, they kind of started watching those bulls. So that they probably were picking up sheds before it was really even cool to pick up sheds. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, they've been, you know, doing it and I was doing it ever since I was, you know, young them, you know, back in the late eighties early 90s you know back then it was amazing you know the amount of antlers we used to find with not people put yeah so so that kind of started that and um so did they start guiding at that point i mean you said that people said to call the mark brothers um so is that kind of when you guys started guiding or when when did that start 
Yeah, you know, for a few years, they, you know, people would call, make go help, and then obviously, you know, the fishing game had to say, well, if you guys are out there, you're going to need to be licensed. So they went ahead and got licensed, and then, you know, my dad and uncle started Bull Ridge in 1996, and at the time, you know, I was still in school, so. but after I graduated, then I started this and just, you know, been with it full time. Okay, so when when did you kind of like graduate school or whatever and and start? When did you start kind of full time on this? I graduated in two thousand. Okay. So full time guiding ever since then. So what what's the hardest thing about being a guide? I mean, a lot of people think like that's the dream job or whatever, but what's maybe something that's often overlooked? No, just the sacrifice you give up, you know, I mean, time away from your family, time away from relationships, you know, I was never really, I don't drink, smoke, chew, any of that, so that's never really bothered me, but, you know, other friends and that, that want to go out in the morning, they stay up all night, and, you know, that early morning grind, a lot of them aren't making it. (laughs) Yeah, so... So on like a typical year, how many days are you spending a week scouting? Like let's say maybe like starting in June. Like how many days do you spend out there a week? Yeah, it's pretty much, you know, five to seven, you know, just depending on what's – I've obviously slowed down a little more since I've had my two daughters. But before that, when I was going full-time, you know, hard, I mean, I'd spend – close to 250, 280 days a year out in the field. Okay. Okay. So you're, you spend a lot of time out there, you know, these animals. And obviously it's been, I mean, you've seen the results. Like you guys kill some of the biggest bulls each year, some of the best bucks each year. So what does like a typical day scouting look like? It's pretty much, you know, getting up you know early get out there i mean we do a lot of glass and you know we 90 percent of our day is going to be behind glass Um, there's a a few spots that you know we can hike into and look into but for the most part we're trying to cover more ground you know in that short window of time that the animals are up yeah so there's there's this one story i want to hear from you i mean i think it yeah, I mean, you guys killed the 311-inch stag buck, but I think, if I remember right, that same year, you guys, like, within a certain amount of, um, I think it was, like, within three or four miles, you guys also had, like, a 230 buck and another, like, 215 buck right there. Can you kind of, like, tell us that story and how that all went down? Uh, like I said, we had them three, you know, three... 200 plus bucks within you know like i said a few miles of each other and the first one the 215 buck that was actually a buck we called trevor's buck i had hunted him in 2002 uh-huh he that year 2002 he was about the same about 215 and i had an antler off him from 2000 he was about 180 2001 he went to about 201 2002 he went to like 215 2003 he went to like a 230 buck oh, then wow. he blew up to like a 250 buck 
And then so he regressed back down to about 218. Did he kind of like follow, um, like were those drought years and wet years when he, ex- he went from like the 250 to that, or was, do you think that had to do with his age more or a little um, bit of everything? Yeah, I think a little bit of everything, you know, obviously the, 2005 year when he was like 250 was a wet year. Um, uh-huh. I think the wet years definitely help the deer a lot more than it does the elk. Okay. So sorry I cut you off. I was just I was curious. That's cool. You had that much history with him. Yeah, you know with that one. So then we had that buck, and then there was another buck we called Big Poppy, and he was end up getting killed too. So we know what he is, but my uncle was hunting him in the archery hunt, and he was. 37 inches from cheater to cheater to 15 to 18. Holy cow. And so the, when we had the PIW hunter, we had intended to hunt Big Poppy. So we went back and was looking, you know, glassing around, and I ended up spotting Arnold's buck, a stag buck, across uh-huh. the way. And I could see that he had the cheaters on the twos and threes. So I thought it was Big Poppy, actually. Okay. And I was quite a ways away you know three miles or so so i went over there and i got closer and glass and couldn't find him so then i had to go back up top again and glass back down and seen him again and then i got over there and got closer and when he stepped out i was just my jaw dropped it you know it wasn't him it was that stag buck gee so he steps out is your hunter like all in for this buck too or is Big Poppy kind of like his number one buck right now? Well, he, this is the day, or you know, two days before the season. He wasn't oh, there yet. Okay. okay. So, uh, I was just out there, and then I filmed home and showed my dad, and we just kind of was in awe watching it. And I just told him, I said, I I don't know, he's got fifteen plus points on each side. I can't count them all. <laughs> Jeez. So what, what's your dad say? Yeah, he was the same thing. He was like, yeah, we're just all in. we got to kill this buck. So we went back out <laughs> that night, and, of course, he didn't come out. So then the next morning was opening day, and, you know, the hunter got there, Arnold, and we showed him video in that, and it was, I don't know. He's seen quite a few good bucks. He's hunted Mexico a lot. You know, to us, it was a big uh-huh. thing. Oh, sorry, you like, kind of cut. All right, I just said no. So we, he's seen quite a few big bucks, and we had asked him, you know, like, have you ever seen anything like this? And he's like, none that crazy looking, you know. So yeah, he's like, I want him too, you know. So we went ahead and. So he's your number one buck at this point, right? Or yeah. So the funny okay. thing was, like I said, he had a PIW tag. So we told him, all right, we'll come in the muzzleloader hunt. And he said, well, I don't have a muzzleloader. We said, all right, well, we got one, <laughs> you know, that, that you could shoot. So yeah. with no, it, it's all open sight. You can't yeah. use any optics. So we said we got one. So we had planned on him using one of ours. And that day that I seen that buck and we seen how big he was, so that midday we're like we need to buy a newer muzzle loader you know to make sure we kill it <laughs> yeah so we had bought it and the day before when he had got here we took it out and shot it so we shot it and that 
200 or at 100 yards, we were just like a couple inches to the left. We figured, all right, well, we should be within 100 yards, you know, of a deer. We should be able to hit it. So we get it. We go out there and see him there opening morning. And my dad and Arnold take off there and they get to about 135 yards. And he's standing there and he shoots and he misses. No. So then we're like, shit, you know. Yeah. So I come back down the mountain, you know, and that. And he's like, I felt all right, you know. Like it was, you know, not really rushed, but I didn't have, you know, all day to perfect. So we're like, all right, well, we'll wait and see if he comes back. So that night he don't come out. The next morning he don't come out. And then the next morning he does again. He's there. So I take him this time and we get up there. There and same thing, about 130, 150 yards, shoots again and misses. Jeez. So then we're like, God, what, you know, what's up? And we get up there and look and the bullet from where he's standing i could see that he hit to the left again uh-huh let's shoot let's let's go down the canyon here and shoot this gun some more so we get out there about 150 and 150 drastically hitting left you know like two feet okay. so we are looking at gun sights you know and even get it closed like that slide you know your back sight was like almost halfway off the rail so we're looking down the barrel. Look right. It honestly looked like either the sight was off, like they didn't drill it centered, something. It wasn't uh-huh. there. So we took it back down to the store here, and they had let us trade it in for a new one. Oh, jeez. Okay. Right. So, so we go buy a brand new one because that one actually was a used one, and it looked pretty good so that's like we're like well shoot a decent price like we're not really going to hunt muzzle over a lot let's just get it yeah but i'm guessing that's why they turned it in because they couldn't get to shoot either so we oh, buy a new okay. one you know, buy some bunch of bullets get up to the range and just shoot it and shoot the hell out of it and we're like all right you know finally it's good yeah so so we're like well we hope he's there you know we've shot twice now he's you know any day now, that thing's going to smarten up and take off. Right. So we get, get back out there the next day, and he wasn't there. So now we're starting to wonder. So then again, the day after that, he's there again. So every other day, that buck would show up. Kind of, you know, where he is watering, so he'd go every other day without watering. Okay. So we get him there that next morning. Um get him up on the hill there, bed it down. So me and Arnold take off over there. My dad's watching. And we sit up there and we wait all day and take nothing with us, of course. We think it's going to be quick. Get up there and waiting him out. And finally, about midday, we have no food or water. So I walk back down the trail and then grab some stuff and then head back up. Uh-huh. And that, that buck gets up and starts feeding down the tree line there and he steps out at 80 yards and Arnold hammered him that time. <laughs> Jeez. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, so then we get up there you know, and we're looking at him and we're just, you know, blowing away too, like in person, you know. I mean, he had, you know, like a little over six inch bases and 
you know, second circumference is, you know, five and a half. End up having, I think, like 23, 24 inches of mass per side. But still at this time, we aren't thinking he's 300-ish, you know. Yeah. We were getting yeah. like 230, you know, but just all them little points and all them extra inches add up. So we finally get him caped out. And bring him home and, you know, call up my other uncles and that. Just all looking at him. And then we're like, all right, well, let's start adding him up. So Alvin, he starts adding, measuring, and I start adding on the phone. And when I see me come over 300, I just dropped my phone. <laughs> and I was like, holy cow. <laughs> that is crazy. That's crazy. I can't believe, I didn't know you guys had shot at him like multiple times before that. So what, like, what are some takeaways from this hunt that maybe like kind of changed the way you did things or like that you learned from this deer? Oh, really? I guess just make sure your gun dead on, not close. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I said, I just, you know, we had figured, I mean, two inches at a hundred, we should be within that, but it just, like I said, drastically, you know, grew as further out you got, obviously, and we just thought yeah. it'd be close enough, and, you know, it could have cost us that deer. So, with, like, like other deer and stuff, have you seen that a lot, like, where maybe, like, you'll, you'll bump them or mess something up or even shoot at them, and... Um, like I guess probably more early season, but they'll they'll come back and get back into their same pattern. Yeah, um, you know, again, I think as long as you're not on them and moving them over, you know, several ridges, pushing them, you know, if you bump them or shoot at them, you know, right there and just kind of let them go on. If you miss, uh-huh. they're you know do the things they've been doing for the last you know month or whatever. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's that's crazy. That's yeah, that's a, such a big deer too. Like just walking up on that, I bet that was pretty special. Yeah, so like I said, he ended up having four drop tines, two on each side. Cheater to cheater, he was thirty-eight and a half inches wide outside, and then he had a hundred and fifty inches of non-typical points. 150 inches that's insane and i think out of that there was only two of them that were right at one inch all of the other ones were greater than you know an inch oh really wow yeah so he had 52 scoreable points he was a 25 by 27 jeez that's crazy so you, you know we talked go ahead. i was just gonna say so you kind of talked about um it's Arnold, right? The hunter? Yeah. So he, like you said, he'd been to Mexico and stuff. Um, so that probably makes you feel good to have, like, a client who's hunted a lot before and stuff. Like, what do you feel like makes a good client? Like, when a certain client comes into camp, like, with certain skill sets, what? and you're like, okay, we're going to kill versus maybe one that isn't quite ready. Like, what do you look what what gets you excited when you know that a client can do certain things, I guess? Does that make sense, what I'm trying to ask? Yeah, but, you know, it's kind of 50-50. I uh-huh. mean, 
the guys that all, I wouldn't say know it all, but, you know, have done it before on their own plenty of times, you know, can kind of end up hindering you. You oh, know, okay. if things aren't kind of going how they expect it, then they think, well, we should be doing this or we should be doing that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they might kind of be second-guessing you. Yeah, you know, and saying, you know, well, why aren't we looking over here? Why aren't we looking over there? You know, versus a guy that doesn't know as much. He's just kind of along for the ride and saying, all right, you know, well, you know where to look, so just do what you got to do. And, you know, allows the kind of, you know, free reign, so to speak, versus, like I said, a guy that's, you know, kind of questioning everything and then it puts more stress on you and actually – you know, kind of works the opposite way. Right. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, and then you've spent 200 plus days in the field for how many years, you know, that area, you know, how those particular animals are acting, which might be different from what they're used to. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, you know, being coachable and being able to just accept, Hey, I don't do it this way, but these guys, I hired them for a reason, so I'll just sit back and let them do what they do. You know, it's optimal. Yeah. So I noticed, like, on your Instagram, too, that you're, you're shooting your bow a lot at, um, especially, like, at long ranges. Like, do you feel, like, what's kind of your practice routine to get ready for the hunts? Like, and then, I guess, Kind of like what what do you do to prepare, and then maybe what do you tell your clients to do to prepare? You know, and like you said, I practice a lot at long range, and it's hard to tell anyone to practice at you know set range just because you don't know their limitations. Right. So, but you know, on the flip side, you tell them, hey, if you can shoot it, you know, seventy, eighty, ninety, you know, if you get something at fifty, it's you're just like, oh, this is way easier, way closer than what I'm used to shooting and feel more comfortable. Yeah. Uh, you know, I personally, like I said, I, you know, just say out of a 1,000 shots, I bet you I probably only take 50 of those that are under 50 yards. Okay. Most of things going to be from, you know, 60 to 110, just because all pretty much do for deer and elk is spot and stock mm-hmm. you know so i know my shots aren't going to probably come at 20 or 30 yards yeah so i'm not trying to practice that you know knowing that hey if i can be good at 80 that 20 should be you know blackout Dial. pretty much just, well yeah i can you know pretty much get it done yeah, yeah, I, I think, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, especially like what you said, too, like if you're if you're shooting from 100 yards, those 50, 60-yard shots seem like chip shots after you kind of move up. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, it's hard because you've got everyone that don't do it is going to disagree with you. You know, you're never going to make anyone happy, so just do what feels right for you and be good with it. So, and then a couple other things. So, I saw you kind of were doing some different broadheads. How often are you shooting broadheads, like, for practice versus, like, I guess, like, when do you put them on? How often are you shooting them? 
And maybe like, what are some things you found with broadheads? I have found that I haven't spent enough time messing with them as I should have. So I've actually gotten fairly lucky killing, you know, I don't say killing, but not being as prepared as I should be with, you know, set heads. I, you know, obviously practice with them, you know, 20, 40, 50, 60, and then we're like, all right, well, it's hitting right there with my field point because I typically shoot expandable hits. Okay. So I was getting away a lot with just being able to be pretty accurate as my field points. But, you know, the more I've been messing with them, a lot of your expandables are, you know, probably, say, inch and three-quarters long versus your field point that's only a half-inch long. So it's changing your FOC slightly. And so the more I'd been shooting them out there at that further distance, I had been hitting a little lower with them as far as, you know, as I'm shooting. Yeah, because you're you're shooting a little slower. That makes sense. You know, so Mm -hmm. that was on the expandable part of it. Now I started switching to more fixed heads lately. And because one of the – I got a New Mexico coming up this year, and they want you to shoot fixed broadheads down there. Okay. So now I've been, you know, flipping it and shooting a little more fixed heads and – same thing, just trying to fine-tune everything and making sure they're good, and everything's changing with that as well. That, you know, it's a 100-grain head, but shooting them, obviously, you can hear them fighting the air a little more, so they've got more drag, so they're dropping even more lower at them further distances from the drag. So, so what are you doing to, like, are you changing your sight for your um, broadheads, or what What do you do to, I guess, uh, whatever, compensate for that? Yeah. I'm just going to a little bit slower tape. Oh, okay. You know, so, you know, your 20 to 50 is pretty close. You know, maybe, say, 50 or 2 inches low, but at 100, you know, I'm about 7 inches low. Oh, okay. So I'm, going to have to go to a little bit slower tape, you know, on that further yardage in the, you know, two different heads that I'm shooting, you know, you can hear one fight in the air a lot more. So kind of what I've been telling people, it's kind of like your ballistic coefficient, you know, that one that's fighting air more is going to have more drag on it and drop more. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. That makes me, I'm thinking in my mind right now, I need to start, Looking at that a little more because maybe I don't shoot my broadheads enough and need to figure that out as well. What what broadheads have you decided on a broadhead that you would really like, like a brand or? Um, I've only been shooting two fixed ones right now. Uh huh. Grim Reaper titanium three blade, and then a Wasp drone three blade with deep six threads. And both of those have been flying fairly good. Obviously, they're dropping lower, but they're pretty straight. You know, I, 
I'm not yeah. having to move my sight left or right much at all for them, you know, even out to, I've shot them at 90, so for this, I've shot them right now. Okay. Huh. I'll have to look at those. Yeah. And like you said, I definitely didn't spend enough time with broadheads as I should. I'm learning that now, and hopefully I can get this squared away before the hunts come, which I should, but. So, and then I have a archery antelope tag here in Nevada, and for that I'll use expandable, and I'm shooting the new Thrive broadheads for that. Oh, okay. So, so you like the expandables quite a bit more, if but you just can't use them in New Mexico because you like the way they shoot. Yeah, because you know, like I said, there's a lot yeah. less tuning problems with those, and we've yeah. actually had. Really good luck with expandables. Okay. Well, your your track record kind of speaks for itself. I mean, <laughs> you've killed quite a few just big deer, um, just back to back to back to back. Um, maybe one, let's go into another deer story. Is there one you want to tell? I mean, you have quite a few. Probably my first buck that I killed in 2008, it um, ended up grossing 209 and net 204 officially in the velvet. Jeez. That buck, too, it um, actually had a bigger buck, was my number one buck, and we watched it all summer, me and and three days before the season, I had seen him. So I'm like, all right, he's there. I'm not going to come back here till opening day because I don't want to keep coming in. You know, someone see me repeatedly coming here, obviously there's a reason. Uh-huh. Filmed him that last time, three days before the season. And that buck, we figured, was about 235. <laughs> yep. So just a giant. Yeah. So I go back in their opening day, and I find this other buck, the one I end up killing. So I see it, video it and stuff, and go back up in there and look for the big one and not there. So a couple days go by, I turn up this buck again that I passed opening day, but still not the number one buck. So finally, on the third time I see him, it's been a week now, I film him that morning and still no giant buck so at that time i'm like shoot this buck pretty big like biggest <laughs> yeah. buck i've ever hunted you know but i had my heart and mind set on that 235 buck so i come into yeah. town that day and I show my uncle alvin the video of the buck my dad was in elko working so i showed him video of that buck and i'm we both agreed like hey he's too big not to try for. You know, it's archery hunting. You can't say you're just going to go kill it. Yeah. So that afternoon, I get out there, and it was overcast and light rain, and I spot him. As soon as I get there, bedded out in the sage with another little buck. So I grab my stuff and take off down there. Well, me being me, I'm like, well, I want to video it. So I got my camera and tripod in one hand and carrying my bow in the other hand. Nah, uh. <laughs> so I get down there and 
you know, I just crawled through the brush there trying to see him and I get headed and he was gone. I'm thinking, shoot, did I blow him out? I'm just by myself, so I don't know. No one's watching. Yeah. You know, I stand up and look down below me and they had made it past me before I got there. So now they're about 200 yards down the draw. So I grab my stuff and start crawling down. And I get to about 150. One third, set my camera and tripod up. And uh-huh. that buck and another little two points are feeding. So I just leave my camera recording on the tripod and I start crawling down there. I get down there below the stage and pop out. And he's there at 95 yards feeding. So I'm like, all right, you know, 95 was top of my level, I so I crouch down, squat over there to this H brush and draw back and then stand up at full draw and the buck yeah. they just look at me. Fly and initially when I was watching it how high it was going, I was thinking that little one. Because of the arc, because that little one was up above that bigger buck. And anyway, it dropped <laughs> right in. Just smoked him. He um took off running and it and it I got this all on video too. Luckily hit stayed in frame. The buck never moved and I'm just off the side of it and so I got it all on film. No. So it smoked it. He takes off running and I watch him die. He went like I don't know, hundred yards or something in like nine seconds or something. He was dead. So <laughs> were you freaking out? Yeah, so you know, that was my first 200-inch buck solo and got it all on film, too. <laughs> That's incredible. Is that is that on your YouTube channel? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's a little ways down, though. I think it's buck or something. Well, the title. Like, watch that. Yeah, and if you watch it, you watch that arrow, and it almost goes out of frame how high the arc was. And, you know, and again, and I attribute that to me practicing, you know, a lot at long range. And yeah. that was that was an expandable, and it actually broke a rib entering, and cracked that rib on the opposite side. So Gee. it's got you know That's still quite better. Yeah. Gosh, that's sweet by yourself, two hundred inch deer, and on film. That's insane. Yeah, you know. And then we get back to town. And, you know, my uncles and all the other guys guide me. They're like. You're nuts, like, you know, camera trying to get it on film and, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it's hard because I still, you know, had my mind set on the big one. So that's kind yeah. of why I danced it with the camera was, well, if I can do all this, you know, just adds more to it. But, you know, I'm still in my mind thinking, where'd that big one go? Right. Did the big one ever get killed or anything? Two years after that, and I think he was 228 net. Jeez. That's yeah, crazy. So that, you, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. You've, you've been on some big deer and killed some big deer. What What did you say your deer that you killed ended up going again? That 209 gross and 204 net. Jeez, that's awesome. It, yeah. But that's, is that your biggest archery buck? 
Yeah, that one, and I've got two other ones that gross over 200 archery. And then my biggest net buck is my 2014 rifle buck. That's the one with the inlines, right? Yeah, you know, and that one I named AK-47. And that buck, ironically, where he was, that was... I think three days before my season opened, we were still muzzleloader elk hunting, uh-huh. and my dad had a 22 mid client, so there was a going on. But so I had, I was gonna go look for deer that morning, and then I figured, oh shoot, I'll stop right here and you know just look for elk, and then still got a few days before my hunt starts to look for deer. Yeah. So I. Got up on that glassing point and was glassing, and I seen some deer, and then I just kind of kept leave, and then thought, well, shoot, I better just look over them deer, because, you know, the figure, well, there might be something with them does. There's, I don't know, 15 does or so. So I'm glassing, and I see a buck. So I'm like, all right, you know, and I zoom in on him, and, and I was like, shit, it's a good one. I could see the big four-point side, and then he had turned, and I could see all the men lines on the other side. Now I'm really <laughs> thinking, shit, it's really good. Yeah. But I'm still, you know, probably two miles away, a mile and a half, two miles, still a pretty good distance. So I'm thinking there's got to be more points on that other side. You know, he's got three big extras on one side. He should have a couple little ones I can't see on the left side. So I had filmed him, you know, what I could and tried to call my dad and them because honestly, I would have just we killed the client because that was going uh-huh. on. It's going to come around. My hunt, you know, isn't open yet. So I go back to town that day and try to get a hold of my dad all day, but they stayed way down south where they didn't have service. And no I guess way. that night, yeah, that night my dad and the client they killed like a one eighty eight six. So, so now he's done. So now I'm just gotta wait for my season to open. <laughs> so how so. much time until your season opens? You said just a couple days. Somewhere? Yeah, three days. Okay. Okay. So he had um, did he was done. And I think that was the 28th when they killed it. The first day I found him, and my hunt opened the 31st. But we had a, another client that I had to take on the 30th, I think. So I told saw him On the same kid, unit or on a different unit? Different unit. Okay. So I seen that my buck that first day, and I think I went back that next day, and he wasn't there. Then the next day, I think when I had to take that other client in a different unit. So I told them, I said, well, I got my tag. I said, I'll run out with you guys, you know, the, this day, and then if not, you'll have to hunt with my dad or, you know, one of our other guys. Yeah. So we ran out that next day, and like I think it was the 30th of October, and the bucks were just starting to rut, so see a pretty good buck with some does. So get Todd, 
you know, Matt gets out and he shoots him, and it's a hell of a buck. It's like a 29-and-a-half-inch four. It might have been a six-by-four as well. Had a hook cheater on him. Matt, it's a heavy. Like, well, shit, this is perfect. You know, right off the road here. <laughs> oh, first day, he hunts, get it done. So I'm like, all right, well, I got to go back and look for, you know, my buck again. So opening day comes, and we, um, my uncle David and my dad and another friend of ours, Louie, you know, we kind of split out around there to look for that buck. And I had kind of timed it to get up on that hill right at opening daylight in case they're, you know, right there to where I can shoot without bumping them before they get too far. Yeah. I hike up on that hill, you know, right at shooting light, you know, which is 30 minutes before it's, you know, still fairly dark and I can see the does out there and then I can see my back out there laying, laying down. So there, you know, shoot only three on the opening day and, I've got everything set, got my camera on him, filming again, of course. And I'm waiting for it to get light enough so I can get good film. <laughs> nah. Yeah, so you so can I'm shoot wait- him right now, but you want to wait for good film. Yeah, so I'm waiting and I'm waiting and then I You're start crazy. thinking. Yeah, I start thinking, what if someone shoots him and you're sitting here waiting for it to get light enough and film? <laughs> I'm like... Just, you know, it's light enough. You can see it. I'm like, just get it done. You know, I mean, I'd never forgive myself if I let someone else shoot it because I'm waiting to film it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I am, um, you know, get a good enough film. It's light enough. You can see everything and, you know, go ahead and I hammered him right there. So he died. Then my dad and them got over there and we got some pictures and stuff. And he ended up, I think, just under 215 gross and 211 and 7 eighths net with a 17-inch inside spread. Nuh-uh. Yeah, his right side, 113. Gosh. That's crazy. He's big, big. Yeah, you know, and like I said, just, you know, just all time length on him, you know, and just, the funny thing is, one of our other guys that hunts with us a lot, Dave, he uh, he likes 30-inch bucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's, you know, old-timers, kind of like my dad and them worst, you know, just back then, you know, a big buck meant 30 inches. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've got four bucks over 200, and but I don't have a 30-incher yet. <laughs> so does he always give you a hard time? Yeah, and then... <laughs> Asked him before, Dave. I said, "What do you like, thirty-inch bucks?" He said, "Thirty-inch bucks taste good." <laughs> so <laughs> the funny thing was, um, I killed, like I said, my that archery buck, and then the year after that, my dad had a Southwest Desert um, Indian Peaks elk tag, and Dave went down there with us on that hunt, and we uh-huh. uh, were down there one night and we were cooking, and I had hamburger made out of that big buck I killed that first one. Yeah. So we're eating, and I asked Dave, I said, well, how them taste? He says, they taste pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's good stuff. So, gosh, I can't, yeah, that's crazy. You've killed, you've just some 
awesome bucks, multiple bucks over 200. And you're, you're consistent at it too. Like what, what do you kind of think like sec- sets people apart who consistently kill like next level bucks versus maybe people who kill none or one in their lifetime? I think a lot of it comes down to, I want to say settling, but you know, willing to shoot a lesser buck. I, um, after I killed that big buck, I actually had another real big buck in 2010. Uh-huh. I, um, opening, well, scouting there before that, we had turned up this other buck. My cousin ended up killing it. So, but I had archery tag that year, and my uncle, Jim, and my cousin Cody had archery tags that year, too. And anyway, this buck, it was a, I think, a 9 by 9 which is a big buck, you know, I mean, just not yeah. to the point, but it was big, you know, and I thought, well, it's two hands, kind of what I thought. So I didn't want to, I didn't care to hunt it. Like I was still trying to find something bigger than my last buck. Yeah. So I, I didn't go after it. Um, they did a couple times, never got it. But anyway, so the next day or, opening day it was i'm driving up the road and spot this one buck and it's big big um it uh-huh. sheds and getting picked up and it was 242 oh jeez. so you know i would have just kind of settled and just hunted that buck that i thought was 210 i would have never had a chance to hunt you know, that 240 or i wouldn't have found that 240 buck yeah, you would have just been there hunting him. Yeah, so, you know, I think that kind of what, you know, separates, you know, some people is, because, I mean, again, you're crazy. You have a 200-inch buck archery, and you're not trying to hunt it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, well, it's not bigger than the other one. I, you know, yeah. I looked, and I, I found it, but I'd seen him that first day that night, Um. I put a stock on him and ended up getting winded. And I kind of fault myself for the stock. Again, it was early. You know, I've learned since then. I uh, dropped down in this ditch where I couldn't see him and was just trying to slowly sneak through there where I think I'd have had better chance if I could have kept eyes on him while I was stalking him. Oh, okay. So I got winded that first night. We didn't find him again till two weeks later. Uh-huh. Um, turned him up one more time. That time my dad had found him, and we had bedded him. I wasn't there with him. I was looking on the other side. So he's like, well, he's bedded on this side with, you know, three or four other bucks. So, you know, we just went into town and figured, all right, we'll get out there early in the afternoon and try to see what the wind's doing and put a stop. So we get out there and we spot one of the bucks bedded down. It's like, all right, he's got to be close to that one. Yeah. So I take off down. My dad's spotting. And shoot, that buck wasn't better with that one. He was further down the hill. Oh. So when I started sneaking, I ended up getting spotted, winded by the first buck. That sucked. 
okay. So then it was another two weeks, almost a whole season. I think it was the last day of the season. I finally found him again. I yeah. just hiked in there and right at dark, I was coming down this steep hillside and it was just too steep and rocky and not enough time. And I got to about 150 and it was just too dark and never got him. So I, I've blown my fair share of stocks as well. You know, I've been fairly lucky to, on a few of them, being able to, to march right in there and get it done. But like I said, I've been on the other side too and have not got it done and blown it. Yeah. So a few things. So when you, I mean, you, you found him three different times within probably like a month. Was he always, like when you found him, was he always in the same area or were you picking him up in kind of different areas? Different areas. Okay. You know, so that, you know, like I said, made it harder. We didn't know where he was going to be. So yeah, just, you know, check everywhere around there and didn't work out. So knowing what you know now, I mean, you kind of said something about the first stock. What would you have done, like, differently? I, I think I would have just been able to, to stay out of that ditch where I can keep eyes on him. Uh-huh. Cause okay. Ditch, I couldn't see him at all. I was just trying to, you know, cut the distance before I popped out and he could have been looking my direction when I'm walking and making noise and, you know, where if I could have seen him looking at me, I could have stopped. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, you've been with a lot of hunters and stuff. What do you feel like are some of the, um, like, most common mistakes made by hunters, like maybe especially like archery hunters? Not being as quiet as you think you are. Mm-hmm. You know, um, or thinking, oh, we're, they're not going to hear me. And oh, okay. not taking your time, and like I said, being as quiet as you should. I, you know, try to, from the moment I get out of the truck, just try to practice being quiet and make sure and I'm stepping, you know, in all the right places. Yeah. Where, you know, I mean, them animals hear so incredibly well. We, one year, had a, stalking a bull and he was bedded on the ridge and so we're walking the client and his dad and another guy of ours rants and we're 500 yards away and you're thinking 500 like no way you're going to hear him you know without being too crazy we're just walking normal and all of a sudden Uh i look up that bull standing there and dead on us he's got his peg like he heard that from 500 yards away like I don't know how, but he did. And so I'm like, I'm Peyton, like, get down. Like, he's got us. He's going to take off. Like, you need to shoot now. And he ended up killing him. It wasn't a good shot, but it was a kill shot. And, you know, Uh but, yeah, we got busted at 500 yards by noise. Like I said, he couldn't see us. He was bedded and where he couldn't see us. And he heard heard us somehow. Yeah, that that's a good tip. I think uh, a lot of times, like even when you're out like glassing, and you you even hear other hunters talking sometimes. I don't yeah, think they realize how loud it travels and stuff. Yeah, for sure. So um, a couple things 
before we end, I just wanted to ask you a couple more questions. Um, so one is, I mean, you've been guiding a while now. Like, what's like one thing that if maybe that you know now that if you would have known like five, ten years ago, you think might have helped you kill more animals or bigger animals? Um, trying harder. I mean, you can always try harder. Like, I look back, you know, over just everything, whether it was sports in high school or, you know, hunts. Like, you can always give more. And yeah. we've just, you know, got comfortable with, hey, like, I found a 200-inch buck. Like, all right. Not, hey, let's go find 200-inch bucks. You know? You could have always, you know, went more, looked harder, you know, tried hard. Yeah, I think that's a really good advice. I mean, like your story right before this kind of like goes hand in hand with that. Like you found that 210 inch deer. I mean, you could have just been like, okay, let's, let's just try to find, we have this 210 inch deer found. Let's just focus on him. But like you said, you, you kept looking and you kept going other places and then you found a 240 inch deer. So yeah. That that's I think um people like I'm guilty of that too. Like sometimes I'll find a good buck and be like, All right, I got a good buck or two in my back pocket, I can kinda of relax. I'll hang out with the family a little more this summer and just go not put as much time as maybe if I would even go out one extra day I could find that that two hundred and forty inch buck maybe. Maybe that's yep. when I would have seen it. So, yeah, that's good advice. And then um, I just wanted to give you, like, the opportunity to kind of, like, tell people, like, if they have a Nevada tag or whatever, how they can reach you or and maybe if you want to tell everyone what your YouTube channel is because I know I want to go watch <laughs> watch that archery buck too. So Okay, yeah, you know, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube and TikTok, you know, Bull Ridge Guide Service, just search that, you know, and they'll pop up. Um, like I said, John Agnes has this, you know, but we have the quality. You know, you got to get in the game to draw. So if you're not in there and you want to hunt, you know, big animals, you've got to get in the game and start applying. You know, then once guys draw, then they just give us a call as soon as they find out and, you know, book if they want to go. Sweet. Yeah, I mean, and you guys, not only, I mean, we've talked about deer because I love deer and this is kind of more of a deer podcast, but you also kill giant elk, multiple 400-inch bulls you guys have killed, and other things as well, so um, you can check that out. And then just uh, right before we end, I, I just wanted to kind of get your take on Nevada this year. I know it's been... Um, kind of started dry maybe these last i don't know if you guys have got rain up there this week and stuff but what how do you think uh the deer and elk will be this year um the elk with whether we've had for nevada elk always seem to do good uh our bulls mm -hmm. you know some are so high and then north slopes have held a lot of snow you know at this early in the year so the grass is, you know, good and green up there. Deer, on the other end, you know, 
it's not looking too good from what I've seen. You know, it started last year being really rough, just numbers down and mature bucks way down. Yeah. So I, I think Nevada is going to need, you know, two or three years to really catch back up with tax being reduced. But we'll so, see if that ends up happening. With, uh, like you say, like mature bucks are down, do you think, like, is that just maybe like, you feel like maybe too many tags or just the rough conditions, it's harder for those mature bucks to survive? Or why do you think that is? Yeah, I definitely feel there's too many tags. Okay. Uh, you know, we've fought, you know, for shoot the last 20 years about tags trying to keep, you know, numbers down and quality up. You know, that's why people apply for 15, 20 years is they want to hunt big animals, not just to hunt. You know, they're not spending that right. money and that time just to go hunt a deer. You know, they want to hunt the best deer they could, ask, you know, possibly grow in Nevada. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, <laughs> yeah, they, it's proven in the past that, like, I mean, just hearing your stories, it it can produce that that, that type of quality. So, but, yeah, well. I appreciate you getting on, Trevor. Is there anything else you want to say before I end? No, nothing I could think of. You know, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk. Yeah, no, it was fun talking to you.